1: the whole context of the New Testament, all who take on the name of Christ are responsible for declaring that news to those that are within their circle. Let's face it, folks. There's people that you know that will never darken the doors of a church. They'll never listen to a Christian radio station. But they look at you, and you to them are the pastor and the message of, And the reality of the gospel. Are you ready in season and out of season? Are you ready to be able to share the reason for the hope that's within you? Are we silent
0: witnesses? In today's message from Pastor David, he challenges us to not be silent witnesses, but to speak up for the good news. He reminds us that all who take the name of Christ are responsible for declaring that news to those they know. There might be people you know who will never enter a church or listen to a sermon. However, they might look to you as the pastor, the message, and the reality of the gospel. Who can you share the good news with this week in your circles? Now here's Pastor David with part one of his message, Paul's Swan Song.
1: I know that a lot of you are from other places, that you've come to Casa Grande, perhaps you're here right now, and yet the rest of the year you're at other places and you come in during supposedly the good weather. I mean, we're still almost 100 degrees. My goodness, that's crazy. I also know that in other parts of the country, in the morning, you can wake up and you can hear a multitude of a variety of, of birds chirping and singing and just the beauty of that, all of that noise. Here, we have pigeons and doves. Okay. As you can tell, I'm not impressed with either one of them. As a matter of fact, we work hard at uh, keeping the dove out of our yard, but that's a whole other story for another day. As beautiful as many birds singing is, particularly like in the morning listening as you wake up and you're uh, again being encouraged and, and just lightening up the day. There's one bird that's known that it doesn't sing, doesn't sing at all. It's a swan. As beautiful as that bird is, there's, there's no known reality that that bird ever sings. Except there is an ancient tradition, it comes out of ancient Greece, that at its death, the swan actually sings the most beautiful of all songs as it begins to expire. Okay, there's, it's, it's tradition. There's no real proof of that. It's highly debated. However, that very phrase, the, the swan's song, has become now kind of a, a, a phrase speaking about the final declaration or the final words that somebody makes before they leave or before they depart, before they, they expire, the swan song. Well, the Apostle Paul was anything but quiet during his life and during his ministry. But what we see here, I believe, in Second Timothy, which is where we're at this morning, I believe that what we see in 2 Timothy, and in particular, 2 Timothy chapter 4, is the Apostle Paul's swan song his last words, his last very important words, just prior to his execution. We know that 2 Timothy was the last book that Paul wrote. We know that the words that he speaks there are very serious and very directed, very encouraging, and very challenging to Timothy. And as it comes down to us, it's still very challenging to us, even as believers. As we've gone through 2 Timothy, we're now at chapter 4. I invite you to take your Bibles, turn there with me, as we look at that passage this morning. 2 Timothy, beginning in chapter 4. Paul writes here, he says, "...I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, and with all longsuffering and teaching." For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. The Apostle Paul knew full well that his time on earth was coming to an end. He was in the execution portion of that Roman prison. He knew that at any moment of any day, the the footsteps of the executioner could come and take him away. And so here, his message to Timothy, I believe it was very, very solemn, very, very direct, as he says, I charge you, therefore, before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ. Some versions have it this way. "I, I solemnly urge you. I solemnly charge you or I give you this charge. Paul knew that since his life, his ministry were nearly over. He writes through the leading of the Holy Spirit, And he understands now he has entrusted this message to faithful men, faithful men like Timothy and like Titus and and a host of others. And they were now gonna be charged to go ahead and to continue that call of evangelism, the spreading of the gospel to the known world around them. And it was a solemn call. It It was a serious vow that he was declaring and calling Timothy to make. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Paul knew. He was very cognizant of the fact that there was gonna be judgment. Paul could have had the very understanding that that judgment could be very soon. He didn't know when the last day of the last days was going to happen, but he understood that from the birth of the church, that began the last days. He knew that it was inevitable. He knew that no one was going to be able to avoid it, whether they're living or rather they're dead. All were going to be called to stand before the living God. But even more than that, He had the reality that the judgment comes at the coming of the Lord Jesus. As he comes and he reigns and he rules over the kingdoms of all the earth, and as the Lord Jesus appears as king over all other kingdoms, there was going to be this time of great judgment among all peoples. This was the urgency, this was the call that he gives to Timothy. And he tells Timothy in verse two there, preach the word, preach the word. It amazes me how many churches meet on a Sunday morning that don't truly preach the word. They preach a host of other things, but they don't preach the word. Somebody was sharing with me just this last week that they'd gone to a church and they started off good. They had a scripture passage that they started with, but they never came back to that. And they just kind of spiraled off of that and never, never really truly preaching the word. He tells Timothy, be ready in season and out of season to convince, to rebuke, to exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. That very word, preach, it, it doesn't come as a suggestion. Hey, Tim, if you happen to get a chance, you know, if, if there's a convenient time, you know, go ahead. If there's no opposition to it, you might want to be able to share the word. Someday. No, it doesn't come that way at all. It comes as, as a direct command to him. Preach the word, and the very verb there, to preach, comes from the Greek word, kind of a familiar word, caruso. Caruso. Some of you remember an old opera singer of years and years ago, caruso. That was before my time. I don't know, George, if you remember caruso. Or that might, might have been before even. So, caruso. What it means is, is to proclaim or to declare out loud, to make known so that none are caught unaware. So, in other words, there is a verbal declaration. The command's very much like the one that runs before the king uh, as the king would be entering into one of the cities of his kingdom. He would always send a runner beforehand and again, he would declare, hey, get your house in order. The king is coming. Again, years and years ago, we used to sing a song within the church. The king is coming. It was that awareness, that understanding. No, our king is soon to come. Is our house in order? According to Kittle's Dictionary of the New Testament, the the Caruso, it, it was the proclamation. It's an instruction in what to do. It's the exhortation to go ahead and do it in order that we might move from error to knowledge. That's what to preach is all about, much more than to make noise, much more than to entertain, but it's to be instruction and correction. And the word itself has no definition of the full content of that proclamation, but only the call to action of making that proclamation. It is a call to action. And so Paul makes it really clear, again, as he says, this is the content of the Caruso that you need to bring, Timothy. You need to Caruso. you need to preach the word. You preach the word, the word of God. And again, that very word in, in the Greek is the logos, and the basic meaning of logos is, again, something said. Oh, it includes the th- Thought, but it's also something that's brought out in a verbal way. As a matter of fact, once again, going back to Kittle, it says the Logos is always concretely a spoken word, not a mere concept. There is no word and hence no reception, faith, or Christian life without the proclamation. But in a biblical sense, We look and we understand that the Logos actually takes on an even deeper meaning. Particularly within the New Testament margins, we find that the logos leads to the fullness of the message of God, all the message of God. Not just uh, the particular points, not the particular hobby horse of that particular messenger or pastor, but proclaiming and teaching the whole counsel of God's word. All of these issues, all of that is wrapped up in the New Testament connotation or understanding of that word, the logos, to preach the word, the logos. And so logos becomes the good news of the gospel. Well, it becomes the good news of the gospel to those that heed the message. But to those that reject the message, it actually becomes the word of judgment. Same word, but depending upon how we receive it, it's either really good news or it's news of condemnation. Same word. The subject, the focus, and the purpose of any Christian ministry, any Christian ministry, ought to be the proclamation of the gospel, to preach the word of God. Rather that ministry is is directly out of a church, rather that ministry perhaps is a Christian clothes closet filling the needs of others, a Christian soup kitchen for the down and out, a, a Christian school or a Christian daycare, or a Christian relief ministry for those that have gone through catastrophic events. If you have the name Christian on it, you better have the Word of God coming behind it and supporting it and surrounding it. Otherwise, why call it Christian? Just call it a, a good deed, a good thing to do. But if it holds the name of Christ, it has to preach, it has to proclaim the truth of the gospel. It's the name or the identity as a Christian ministry, the word, the logos, the gospel message, that's gotta be part of it. Otherwise, they've taken that name incorrectly. They've taken it really to to no avail. And in the same way, we as individual followers of Jesus Christ, we've taken the name of Christ. We have the name within our lives as Christians. And so in our lives, we need to understand, we need to be prepared to always give reason for the hope that's within us, to give a defense to everyone who asks for a reason for that hope. That's what Peter tells us. If I take the name of Christ, then I need to be able, I need to be willing to share the reality of what that means in my life. And all too often, the church is filled with silent witnesses. Silent witnesses who have never uttered the reason for that hope, the basis of their hope, why they call themselves even as Christians. Here Paul tells Timothy in verse 2, he says, Timothy, you've got to be ready You've got to be ready in season and out of season to convince, to rebuke, to exhort, and with all long suffering and with teaching. Now, we may look at that and say, yeah, but that's the word to the pastor. That's what the pastor gets paid for, isn't it? No, according to the wholeness of the gospel, the whole context of the New Testament, all who take on the name of Christ are responsible for declaring that news to those that are within their circle. Let's face it, folks. There's people that you know that will never darken the doors of a church. They'll never listen to a Christian radio station. But they look at you, and you to them are the pastor and the message and the reality of the gospel. Are you ready in season and out of season? Are you ready to be able to share the reason for the hope that's within you? As a minister of the gospel, Timothy, he he was called to be prepared. But for each of us, rather we be a pastor or a Sunday school teacher, rather we're an usher, rather we're simply a believer in Jesus Christ, we all need to be ready to give reason for that hope that's within us. As a follower of Jesus Christ, each of us should view our ministry, our personal ministry as a full-time, all-the-time ministry, because, beloved, faith involves every bit of your life. And if your faith doesn't involve every area of your life, then there's something greatly lacking within your faith. There's no moment of the day that Christ can't redeem if his own people are prepared to seize the opportunity as they come to them. Those who remain ready, those that remain alert in their faith, they participate willingly in that proclamation of the gospel, whether it's convenient or not. It's not simply the job description of the pastor or the elders or of a Sunday school teacher it's the call for each of us as believers in Jesus Christ convince rebuke exhort with all long suffering and with teaching if we're called as each one of us as representatives of the lord jesus christ then in the spirit of love and in the spirit of meekness we should be able to live out in a very physical and a very real way and proclaim verbally the truth of the fullness of the message of the hope and of the correction, and of the encouragement that's found within the word of God. It's a responsibility we have. Christ died, yes, for our sin. Our salvation cost us nothing, but at the same time, it cost us everything because Jesus himself even declared, unless you are willing to die and come and follow me, you can't really be my disciple." And as a matter of fact, you remember the story of the rich young ruler that came to him. Lord, I've done all these things. I've loved the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I've loved my neighbor as myself. And Jesus says, one thing, one thing you're lacking. Go and sell everything and come follow me. How committed are you? That's called commitment. I don't know if you recognize that. Some of you may not even know the meaning of that word commitment. You understand convenience. But you really don't understand commitment. And Jesus calls for us to commit, surrender all to him. Not everybody's called to preach, I understand that. Not everybody is called to teach a, a class, small class or big class, I understand that. But every one of us are called to give reason for the hope that's within us. And from that hope, we have the encouragement then to share the truth of the gospel with those that we come in contact with as we move through this life. In our own, each one of our, in our personal sharing of that gospel message, it would still do us good to to remember the words of Warren Wearsby. Now, Warren Wearsby, he writes this to pastors, but as I read this, I thought, man, that's a good word for all of us to be able to understand. I believe it holds true for each one of us. He says that preaching... And let's just change that preaching to sharing, okay? The sharing of your faith should be marked by three elements, conviction, warning, and appeal, as Paul tells Timothy, to reprove, to rebuke, and to exhort, all three of those things. And Wiersbe says to quote an an old rule for preachers, he says he should afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. that's the reality and the truth of the message of the gospel. It brings hope to the hopeless, but it brings correction to those that are arrogant and and running from the truth. Wearsby says, if we encourage those who ought to be rebuked, we are actually assisting them to sin. Biblical preaching, biblical sharing must be balanced. So here in 2 Timothy, Paul goes on to warn us in in, in verse 3. He says the time is going to come when they're not going to endure sound doctrine. They're not going to endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Paul writes of the time that's going to come. It's It's difficult really to determine, is he talking about the time to come in an individual's life or in the population as a whole? I really kind of think that both of those are true. I think that there does come a time in each individual's life. If he continually neglects, if he continually refuses the gospel message, there's going to come a hardening of his heart that's going to shut out that still, small voice of God. His heart then becomes filled with that siren's song that leads to destruction. And he soon led away to his own destruction because he refused to listen to the message because he shut it out and he shut it out and he shut it out and he shut it out out until the callousness of his heart grew so hard that the still small voice of God could not penetrate it or did not penetrate it. However, I also feel that there's going to come a time in, in these last days, and I believe that we're seeing it even now, We're going to see this this proliferation, this growth of the rejection of the gospel message. Who are you to judge me in my life? Oh, the church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. I would never go there. Oh, that might have been good for that day, but this is a modern day. This is a new day. We need to, again, bring the Bible up to the standards of where we're at today. No, we don't. Humanity needs to be brought up to the standards of the word of God. Some feel it's too restricting. They say it's too cumbersome to follow that message and to follow the teachings of Christ. They look to be free from all restrictions. They they don't want to have any kind of confinements, only to find themselves actually and truly under the bondage of sin. Oh, don't, don't bind me by the word of God. I'm free. No, you're not. You're bound in sin. And you're facing eternal consequences because of that. They won't endure. They won't won't submit themselves to sound doctrine. And so they chase after the wind. They try to fulfill their own desires. And then they only, at the end of that, they find themselves empty of meaning, empty of purpose, And they're far from the presence of God. And that's what Paul is warning about. In their desire for self-pleasure, in their effort to cast off all constraint, man is going to seek out teachers who will tell them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. Well, I don't want to go to that church. They step on my toes too often. I want to go to a place that just makes me feel good every time I go in. The problem is, is people are going to feel good all the way to hell, until they change their lives. By and large, people would rather believe a lie that makes them feel good for a moment than submit to the truth that would change their entire eternity. The unfortunate truth is most men will reach for momentary pleasure and they'll forsake eternal redemption. Paul says in verse four, they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside toward our two fables. So he warns Timothy, and each one of us in verse 5, he says, but you, you be watchful in all things. You need to endure afflictions. You need to do the work of an evangelist. You need to fulfill your ministry. He's telling Timothy, he's telling you and I, we need to be continually on guard. We need to stand firm when all of the world around you turns against you.
0: Thanks for tuning in today to The Open Word. Pastor David has been taking us through the book of 2 Timothy, sharing the Apostle Paul's insights and wise words for us to learn from. If you'd like to listen again to today's teaching, you can do so by simply visiting theopenword.com. Click on the Teachings tab to access these messages and be sure to subscribe to our podcast to never miss an update. At our website, you can also find out more about Pastor David and the ministry of The Open Word. We love that we get to share Pastor David's teachings with you here on The Open Word. And we'd like to ask you to be a part of what we're doing here. To tell you more, here's Pastor David.
1: You know I love being able to share the Word of God with you through this radio ministry. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. I know God is blessing His children through The Open Word. And God has given us a vision to see this ministry expand and reach even further. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Your gift, large or small, is greatly appreciated for the kingdom of God.
0: Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for being a part of our listening audience. That's all we have time for today, but join us again as we continue digging deeper into the book of 2 Timothy, right here on The Open Word.